0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 41 of Business Therapy, a show about helping real professionals solve real business problems. Every week, we invite a guest onto the show to help guide them through the normal pains and setbacks of working through their career. Using a mindfulness first approach, we help our guests find conscious solutions and help give them the tools to take on challenges that inevitably pop up during the ups and downs of business. I'm Sam Drawshack, and as always, I'm here with Jonathan Adams. Today on the show, we have Elizabeth Edelman. Did I say that name right? Edelman. 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 Sorry. No, it's okay. I've been hitting low on the last name guests. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, for sure. Why don't we start by telling us uh, the audience a little bit more about yourself, your business and how we can help you on the show today.
1: Great. So I run a PR firm based in Richmond, Virginia. We offer PR communications, consulting and social media services for our clients. Um, The firm's name is Golden Word. So we operate in the consumer and luxury lifestyle space. Uh, We serve clients across the country. So not just in Richmond or not just in Virginia. Um, We do food and Bev clients, design, hospitality, and fashion. So all of those verticals. Uh, We represent a number of spirits brands like restaurants, breweries, bed and breakfast, interior designers, home decor brands. It's For me, I'm really passionate about working with brands that I love and I believe in. So I feel very fortunate to be working in that space of like, these are all really fun um, and exciting. So we have a team, uh, a tight, talented team of six women. We're all based here in Richmond, but everyone has moved from major markets, New York, DC, Seattle. So that's awesome to be pulling in such great experience. Um, and then to just give you like the golden word approach to PR is summed up by a phrase that I just trademarked, which is talk like a human. So there's a real genuine humility and empathy in our work and it helps us cut through and help our clients tell stories in a way that connects. Great. Yeah. So that's golden word. Um, do you want me to get into our problem?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. What can we do for you guys today?
1: Okay, great. So this is a little bit of a setup and some storytelling moments, but I think it adds some context to like what the big question is at the end. Um, So I want to first give a little bit of history. Um, I founded Golden Word six years ago in 2016. The first year was like easy and fun. I immediately had a full book of business for myself. And then every year since then, we have really wrestled with growth. So A founding tenant for Golden Word is we practice essentialism. So you guys know the book by Greg McKeown. Um, I read that book and it really exploded my brain. I have loved everything that he's put into it and really try to apply it. So he in the book offers a three-tier decision matrix, which I've used to help us determine like which clients we wanna work with. And to sum it up easily, like if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And so we really look to like the clients that are incoming, like how do we feel about them? So it's either a hell yes or a hell no. Um, And in the first three years of Golden Word, we represented a lot of like more sexy startups. And these are totally like hell yeses to me. This is like great visibility, really kind people to work with, awesome stories. But then the downside is there's some volatility. And so that impacts me and my bottom line and the ability to hire or, you know, do payroll on a regular basis. So they might run out of funding and suddenly let us go, even if we're killing it for them. So the lesson I learned from that is that we needed to balance off those sexy startups, as I like to call them, with some more stable clients. Um, you know, So it's a little bit of flash and then a little bit of just like more reliable uh, revenue. Um, then the pandemic hit and we took obviously a big hit on the food and beverage side, the hospitality side. And very abruptly stopped working with a lot of them. So we took on a lot of work outside of those, outside of our like typical verticals to survive. And at the same time, something that happened for me is I really honed my ability to win new business. I was already pretty good at it, but now I'm really good at it. Um, And so I feel like now, so like cutting to today, right? And the setup for our problem is that we're on track to double in size this year over last. Um, We like both in revenue and in staff. So we have more new business than I can hire for, which is a whole separate problem. Um, But we've been like very, like we're in communications, right? So I do what I think is a pretty good job of, you know, advertising our services for particular verticals, right? Food and Bev, design, hospitality, fashion. But I get inundated with new business requests that fall outside of those spaces. Some are really easy to say no to because we lack the expertise needed, the budgets don't align, or I'm just not interested, right? But others are intriguing because they have like a really friendly, talented team. They have a healthy budget. And then I have vision on how to execute the work. So for example, like we've been approached by a real estate marketing firm, a fintech debt collections platform, an orthopedic practice. Like these are firmly outside of our traditional like expertise in how we're billing ourselves, but then I also have great vision on how to execute these, like how to help them. Right. So my big question is, oh, well, wait, before I go there, the other thing is while we're being approached by all of these people, I'm also gotten really good at the winning new business. So I have a healthy pipeline coming in, in our focus, in our areas of focus, but it's really hard. I don't know. I'm like trying to balance the fact that we need stable business in addition to like the more sexy startups that I get attracted to. So all to say, my big question is like, how do I decide which business to take? On one hand, I'm worried about diluting our positioning. Like, do we want to be a specialist versus a generalist? And there's great efficiency in operating within similar verticals. But on the other hand, particularly as we grow, diversifying our client base with more stable, well-funded clients, that's attractive. So then further, which I'll let you t- talk in a minute here, but like um, I've also hired for our specialties. So my vision for a client outside of those verticals, sometimes the team doesn't share that or, or doesn't understand it. And then I feel like I'm training for that as well. But then these are also just like really good opportunities. So I'm just left with this, like, what do I do with this business question?
2: At the heart of it is the the, the primary issue, uh, mitigating against volatility, volatility or are there other issues at play?
1: That feels like it. Yes, I also, I think the pandemic particularly like put me in more of a scarcity scarcity mindset. Of I'm worried like that. So it's kind of this like the other side of the coin on the volatility piece of you know, I want to make sure that we're going to be okay and that I can provide for my team.
2: Mm -hmm. Did you apply uh, the hell yes, hell no to the clients you took on after the startup uh, phase?
1: I had, yes. I would say when it, I stopped using it as much Ah. in the pandemic. That's when it just like fully went out the window. Um, But recently I feel like, My definition of a hell yes and hell no has potentially changed a little bit because I'm not just looking for that sexy story that we can sell from a client. I'm also thinking about like how I can provide for the team.
0: Well, I'll start by saying, first of all, congratulations. It sounds like having a healthy pipeline and all this growth, (laughs) an amazing problem to have it. But, but again, this is a, This is a very relatable, I think, topic where even if you were in in a place of scarcity or under duress, Mm -hmm. that even makes it harder in those times to decide what business will I take versus not. Because a lot of times, like I think you're articulating what business you take on is, you know, I would almost describe it as what relationships you're going to have. It really can define a business, especially a smaller business or a startup. Um, And again, when you have such a brand or an identity based business, or at least something you're cultivating, that can be a really scary prospect because the people that you have relationships with in effect define you. So it's, it's in some ways, it's kind of an articulation of an identity crisis where there's some fun things going on. There's lots of good business opportunity, but like you said, is there a, is there a, Where's the actual risk? Where's the actual tension? So I guess I'm just trying to summarize a little bit of what I I heard about your situation, but I'd have a follow-up question on, you know, because I hear a mix of, oh, I'm excited about some of these opportunities, but then they don't match what I thought we wanted to be. If you could maybe kind of hone in a little bit more, where are you feeling the tension? Is the tension more like, like Jonathan was just asking on like actually stabilizing the finances and hedging against volatility, or is it more in your identity and how you'd be perceived if you started to branch out into other industries or a combination of both, but maybe kind of help separate those dimensions.
1: Yeah. I think it is a combination in the sense that I, I don't know how much you guys know about the Enneagram, but I know that I'm an Enneagram seven. I'm the enthusiast. I'm the visionary. So I go into a new business conversation being like, okay, like we don't technically have capacity for anything right now, but then I talk to the person and I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. This would be so great. And I get so swept up in that conversation, then turn around to the team and they're like we, don't, like, we don't know how to do this. You do, but we're the ones that have to execute it. So I think there's a little bit of a, I get not starstruck, but I get swept away in the conversation. And so I'm trying to find I'm trying to find the opportunities that are good for us, right? And I see more opportunities. So I also, like growth has just been painful for us across the board. I can never seem, I never have the right amount of business and staff at the same time. So I'm always have like too much business and then I'm killing myself trying to get the work done and, or I have too many people and I'm stressed out and I'm taking work that I don't really want to. So there's just, there's a myriad of opportunities, and problems and layers to it, which is why I'm like, get so confused when I'm faced with this opportunity from a new client that I'm like, I don't know if I should take this because I almost am like looking at it from too many angles and perspectives. And so I can't clarify like which one should be prioritized.
2: I I would as an initial matter, uh, because the first thing I'm always thinking about is, what got you jazzed about your business? What got you excited to be, you know, to get up in the morning and, and do what you do and ha- has over time, there been any misalignment with that. And especially whenever I hear about fear of anything, mm-hmm. that's a killer to alignment because what we right. do out of fear is a lot of should and never, uh, it's never positive. Um, it's also not very inspiring to, to a team or to anybody to say, we're doing this to protect against failure, you know, like that's. Right. That, that's, um, you, you never want to do that. And you have so much uh, obvious uh, energy and excitement for what you do. Um, so, so you, you definitely want to keep that. But you have so many layers, like you're saying, of, of, of um, incoming data th- that's conflicting with one another that, you know, I, maybe I'll, I'll focus. Normally, I, would fo- we, I think we would focus on, on the energy. Maybe Sam will still uh, go there. But uh, just to, to start giving uh, some uh, filter on how you can take a look at it. Um, I I heard something else there where when you're doing intake, you do the intake and then there's a reaction from the team. Mm -hmm. So there is the idea of there's, you know, what keeps you excited and what's going to keep you wanting to do what you do and then what's good for the company. And so when you think about the company, uh, the fastest way to avoid the challenge of the uh, disconnect there is Accelerating the uh, input to the decision making, so maybe someone else can be part of the intake process, or maybe you can define what your intake process is, and you know, other people can go through it, and then they could see the challenge of saying no, or you know, like it's, right. it's you don't want to have that uh, tension of you're doing something and it's against the team because you're trying to do something right. that's good for the team and good for the company. So yes. participation, yeah. you know, can help uh, mitigate that uh, dramatically. But I I want to ask about the, you had said, like, it it almost seems like you have an answer to each problem. So like one of the problems you had was, uh, and that's good. um, But one of the problems was that uh, you don't know if you should go into a new vertical. And then you say, Mm -hmm. but I know I can kill it. So what's the problem?
1: Well, like I said, I'm I'm nervous about diluting our identity as a as a company and our specialties. I also know that in PR, there's great efficiency to be going to the same editors with similar items in, uh, or similar clients in the same vertical. And then we have to learn a whole new vertical if we go into if we sign on to this client. So I can't tell if I'm almost being like too optimistic about it because I know it'll it'll be great, but it's I also know it's going to be a lot of work. So I'm trying to find like the efficiencies and the moments that, I I just don't wanna spread us too thin.
0: Well, and this is where starting to ask questions about how you're feeling about those decisions because at the level and the size that you're at, a lot of the decision of what the business becomes is you navigating some of these personal feelings about is it too much work or is it actually exciting? Because you can create a logical argument to say that this is not gonna give us economies of scale and this is not efficient. But if you're personally excited by the learning process or it's something that Mm -hmm. you, you know, your first gut is that I would actually like to learn this. I would like to put in the work. I would like to be able to help these people. You know, that is the company's character. So this is where a lot of the reflection is what you might've initially put out as the company's identity. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't match your personal, you know, where you are right now in the present about what excites you and what gives you energy that's where you have this tension, this misalignment, because you know I, I can imagine where if you said, I'm gonna serve these verticals and become a specialist, but then you find it confusing this feeling of excitement when you have other right. opportunities. Um, nothing is really tying you to become that specialist. And you've gotta be really, I guess you have to ask yourself honestly, is it, and this is where Jonathan was saying about the fear thing, do I wanna take on these opportunities because I am legitimately excited about them? Or is it because of some other reason that's coming up that makes you want to overextend yourself or put you in a position where you're going to have to do extra work, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I think often the voice in my head is like, to your point earlier, it's the should, like you should take this, they're well-funded. And so I do enjoy them to a point, but then I'm also like, I think that's more the overriding thought that's happening as opposed to the excitement. It's more like this would be like a good, opportunity for the business uh, from a stability standpoint, from a revenue standpoint, as opposed to like, we would be super excited about this and know that we could do a good job with it.
0: Yeah, and even that, saying that out loud to me is a good reflection on if that's the case, yeah. And, and I'm not as familiar with the, the hell yes, hell no framework you're using, but in, <laughs> in terms of the, the framework of kind of being honest and reflecting on what do you actually want, if you don't, if you're not excited about it and it's for other reasons, it's probably better to just hold the space
1: mm-hmm. so that
0: things that you're really excited about can come in or you're not accidentally getting overextended. And then we, you can think about the, the financial risk possibly as a, as a second dimension to that. But it's kind of, you separate the problems into stages, but the first one is, where's the feeling coming from? And is the feeling authentic? Because mm-hmm. I'd give one more uh, piece that, that I always think about when you talk about yeah. growth, especially. Yeah. Growth is only sustainable if you're getting energy from the activity. Right. If you think about it that way, you can't sustain growth in a company, especially a company your size, if you're doing, if you're taking on more activity for any other reason besides you and the team being excited about it and giving you more energy to work on it. Because if you think it's always gonna be a net loss to you, No matter how you justify it rationally or with logic or with process or operating logic, because if it's giving you like sort of a net drain or fatigue, then that growth can't actually be real growth. It's going to be something you're always propping up until you or your team just burn out.
1: I'm definitely in the stage of its growth is a drain on us right now. So I don't know how to just, or reconcile that with the fact that I do go into these calls and I get excited. And then I turn around and I'm like, oh, I have to do this work. And I'm not full, like I'm coming from a place of like, it's been hard for the last like five years, you know? It's not even a pandemic thing, right? Just like growth across the board has been, for me, painful.
2: So is, the, is it because you, you get the excitement of having the vision of what could be done for the company and painting that broad vision, but then at the execution level, there's a lot of tension that, that that results in?
1: Yeah, I think it just, I worry about, I know that we can do the work and we have done the work, right? But it's just a matter of having to manage all of the people involved and all the clients at the same time, which is an agency, you know, like that's what you're supposed to do. So it's funny that that's the issue. Yeah.
2: Right. But if we get rid of the supposed to, and we get rid of the shoulds, um, what I'm, what I'm trying to find out is like, again, what gives you that excitement? What gives what jazzes you? So if you're, uh excited that you're you know it's validating to obviously when a client says you know somebody wants to work with you sure and you, yeah. like you've had a lot of that validation which is really nice but if the excitement mm. in those calls and your real problem is you have the vision you have the strategy mm-hmm. but at the execution level it's uh you know th- there could be uh either the tension of the team or just the skills that are needed etc cetera. Then your real problem is that. Like you want to do mm-hmm. more of the strategy and vision. For an example, yes. um, yeah, yeah. And less of so then if that's your real problem, then can you think of ways where maybe you don't have to do all the execution? So in other words, right. is there is there a market for creating that strategy and you know what gives what jazzes you at the beginning? because um, what's what's what I'm reflecting on is the first time you felt this way you know where you had these kind of feelings was mm-hmm. when you had all those startups and you realized it was volatile mm-hmm. and so yeah. you said in order to avoid volatility you know the standard advice is diversify you know right. so and and that makes sense but was that the right decision for you because if the startups were giving you all this energy is there then the real question is is there mm-hmm. a way to work with startups and have volatility or Sorry, and and mitigate the the volatility, Mm -hmm. or is there energy that exists within startups that can be replicated within more uh, substantial uh, entities? So, like, what is it characteristically? So, what I would always recommend, when you feel the the first tension, make sure that you're very very clear about what the actual problem is, and 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 what you would you know if you could if if everything go the best way possible what would that look like to you? Because the second we start so assuming what it is that's exciting about what we're doing, you know, when we're right. going to be mindful about it, we might be protecting something we don't even want. So all I'm saying is in the, th- there is a way to, there are a lot of entities that work with mostly startups and mitigate against the volatility. So there are strategies for that. Obviously, it definitely will mitigate the strategy, the, the volatility if you have more you know, stable entities, but maybe that's not right for you. So if you go back to that decision matrix at that moment, it seems like you're just scaling that kind of those challenges as you grow because you're still not hundred percent if, if there's a way to have your cake and eat it too.
1: It's really interesting you say this because I don't know, it's kind of like a, uh, an obvious epiphany that I'm having of that moment of all of that volatility with the startups started to get me thinking about how I felt like I was failing, right? That I wasn't providing for the team. Mm-hmm. And so I I was like, okay, well, I should do this. I had a therapist who always, her expression was you're shooting all over yourself. Um, and so- I'm
2: gonna, I think we're gonna steal that one. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's really good, right? Cause you're like, dang it. Like it, it puts the should in the right place of like, this is not a positive thing. Um, and so for me, I don't think I realized that that pivot in my mindset, I thought it was smart. And I thought it was a good like business strategy of like, okay, if the startups are so volatile, then I should have more stable clients. And I didn't realize that I think that that potentially maybe is a root cause of the not burnout, but like the fatigue that I have from our growth in general is because we're not like, maybe we just not suck it up with the volatility but just like to your point have a better plan for mitigating it and know that we're going to be in these uh, turbulent waters and just enjoy the process you know like lean into it more
2: well you, you know even there was a should in there in terms of providing uh-huh. for the team I should provide for the team right you know, and that's why I'm, but I bet if you put to the team would you sooner have this you know potential volatility with startups and do that work? or me bringing on larger clients, you know, which would you yeah. prefer, you know? So yeah. like, was, again, there's always, you, you have to keep t- uh, interrogating all any should, you know, as you don't want to keep be, be shooting all over yourself. So, um, <laughs> so that, you know, that, that right there, I bet, I, well, I don't want to assume what any of the team would say, but sure. If it caused energetic tension for you. It caused energetic tension everywhere. So. Um, yeah. I'll and just- I was just,
0: I was just going to piggyback on that because I think it's critical and we're not assuming how you talk to your team with this comment, but a lot of times leaders, they take on the unspoken burden of feeling like they have to create stability for their people. And oftentimes in these situations, like Jonathan was just mentioning, if you sit down with the team and say, Hey, what gets us really excited is working in sort of a riskier space. What do you all feel about that? How would you feel if we had to tighten our belt? You know, for a few months out of the year, or how would you feel about this? What would you do? And having that as an open forum, especially with a small team, can be extremely powerful because in a lot of case studies and a lot of situations that are similar, you know, you make end up making a lot of assumptions on what a stable, safe work environment is for your people. But especially in smaller companies where you do get to do really cool work, people are often willing to trade a lot yeah. of their safety and stability to kind of be a part of that sort of organization and have that high powered, high energy, kind of fun environment. And a lot of times just opening it up to conversation saying, what are we all comfortable with? And what would we do collectively, you know, if we took a riskier angle, um, you you might be surprised how much really uh, authentic feedback you get from that kind of conversation.
1: That's interesting because one of the reasons why I started Golden Word is I wanted to be working with clients that really energized us and, I was very mindful of, I don't want to sign us up for boring work that will pay well, but is just a slog. And we haven't gone that far, right? Like we haven't done that, but I could see how it's potentially like creeping in that direction if we're not mindful of it. Um, So I think that's really interesting just to invite the team more into the conversation, because I feel very responsible when a client comes out of nowhere and lets us go, because I feel like I've let the team down which like, obviously this is beyond my control to a degree, right? Like we can choose our clients, um, thankfully, but, uh, yeah, I guess I just, I worry that they're going to be worried and I don't want that for them.
2: Right. Yeah. But nor can you own that for them. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah, That's I'm a good can't point. Own someone
2: else is worried. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And if it makes you feel better from our experience in speaking with a lot of agencies over the years, this is kind of the, the, the people would rather agree to say, I'm going to eat ramen and get not paid for a quarter every year than to take on a boring agency work that kind of right. dulls our creativity and makes us want to basically kill ourselves. And we've heard that from a lot of agencies where they eventually <laughs> evolve to the point where you're talking about where the death of the agency is didn't come from they didn't have enough income or didn't have enough sure. stability. They got locked up in a bunch of dreadful contracts that are just like really mundane things that nobody wanted to do when they started. And that is really the the killer of a lot of creative. Right. Creative teams. Yeah.
1: So, go ahead.
2: No, no, you, it's, this is your show. <laughs>
1: so, well, I was going to say, so what do I do in the moment when we have a client that comes to us that is outside of our verticals, um, but I get, that moment of enthusiasm and vision for working with them. You know, like I've not signed us up for things that I am, you know, completely against, right? Or like, no, will be dreadfully boring. Just, we haven't gotten that far. It's just more like, I do have these moments with the fintech company or the real estate marketing firm where I get really excited about the potential to work for them, even though, I don't know i just can't how do i balance that versus like what the work will actually be like
2: mm-hmm. but for that that's part of the question yeah. what are you excited about are you excited about the execution and seeing it to fruition are you yeah. excited about that vision like what, right. what's, what what's going on for you at that moment
1: sure you know that um i don't know if this is a phenomenon for you but i feel like oftentimes i go into a meeting with people and i'm like i don't know why they want to talk to me I don't have any ideas on this front. And then like 20 minutes into the meeting, I have this click and I'm like, okay, here's the plan. I know exactly what to do. Here are my questions. Have you thought about this? And so I just get into this mode where I do get, like I have the clear vision on how to do the work for them. Um, So yeah, I think I get really, I don't know, I can see it and I know how to do it.
2: Right, but again, is that Mm -hmm. enough for you? Because in other words, the question right. becomes like, can you still do that? Have mm-hmm. those meetings, have those clicks yeah. without needing to be responsible for all of the execution? And would that give you the excitement? And by the way, you just yeah. answered the question about, it, do I specialize or generalize? Like, yeah. so most of the times the pro- problem people have is they just have this idea in their head of what that actually means. But when okay. they break down the component parts, you know, they realize that it's not, what they thought so to be in that meeting could you imagine if a specialist was in that same meeting do you think you would have any less inspiration do you think your what clicked for you would be any you know more wrong or right than you know the than the other person i'm almost i'm i could tell already i'm confident that you would you'd be very (laughs) confident in what you're you're espousing to them so you know you could you could uh, compress time and and for and not worry about that part you know, like the, 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 the
0: specialist. And I'll give an answer, you know, to your question about, does this happen to us? I can speak for me, at least that this happens all the time in terms of, you know, we do a lot of process uh, work at very high levels of organizations. And, you know, there's, I, you know, and maybe this is more of a reflection of me personally, but there's not a single meeting I go to where I don't experience what you just said. Which is like I 10 minutes in, I'm like, oh, I have a very strong opinion on what should or what could be done here. And a lot of that is because, you know, I get excited personally about just being able to apply my knowledge to help people. Mm -hmm. But what I would answer, you know, and this is kind of aligned with what Jonathan was saying, what it's kind of if you bring it down to a personal level and you think about it again as relationships, like when you take on a customer, you're building like a relationship. It's the same thing personally. We could help probably a lot of people that you come across. But are you really helping them if you overextend yourself into a place where you can't help them effectively or with a level of excitement over time? And For I think sure. that's why where it's so important to kind of know your boundaries and especially if you have the vision, what I what I suggest to a lot of people in the situation you're describing is de-scope. And that's kind of what Jonathan, I think is suggesting too, which is you can have a strategy offering if people respect you in, in, you know, in the area or they're already talking to you, but then find partners who can do execution, find partners who can, you know, refer resources or say like, I'm happy to stay on at the level that you feel you can stay excited at and make that a strategic offering. There's really no limit to how you build a relationship, especially when you have your own, you you control your scope of services. But I think it's making sure that that initial excitement doesn't extend past what you actually can offer. And a lot of that is really a reflection. It's an internal facing reflection. It's really an internal kind of, you have to, you have to pause, as a, especially a strong consultant mm-hmm. say, where am I actually like, let's put my sales hat off and think, what do I actually want to do? What do I have the capability to do? And then be honest in that moment with, with the person who wants to build a relationship with you, because right. I've had a lot of great receptivity over the years of saying like, I think I would know what to do, but I just, I don't have the capability to do this right now. So I could advise you, or I could refer you, or we can maybe work in a different way, but it starts right there, like curtailing Mm -hmm. that excitement and being honest. And often that's pretty well received.
1: No, it's, so we already do refer out a lot of the business that we get, like we're we're turning away a lot of already. Um, I think it's interesting to think through the ability to, to your point of like de-scoping of potentially like putting ourselves in a position to offer more of the high-level strategy. With PR, it's not one of those things where you can advise that someone go and do it on their own. Um, so potentially like finding a, another agency to partner with, because I've always assumed we had to do it in-house, right? Like again, I'm not going to turn around to um, a client of ours and be like, well, you know what you should do is pitch this story to national outlets. Like, that's not a, a capability that many people just have laying around in house. Um, but then, yeah, so partnering with an, another agency, because we have had trouble like finding people who have this skill set um, in this area.
2: Could you, you know, could you create the plan and then mentor somebody that's on the client's team?
1: potentially I, yes. Yeah.
2: I appreciate that in the moment yeah. it's made of a million you know it's not just the plan it's the adaptability of the plan you yes. know in the face of what's going on but I'm just trying to think of ways cuz you have to think of intake as like a relay race. It doesn't okay. matter how fast you can run in your part if the sure. rest of your team you know has certain limitations the overall output will be no matter how brilliant your initial thoughts were will sure. be bad if, you know for all parties involved. Yeah. So yeah then the question becomes, well, can I just make this into a hundred meter dash, you know, and, and not make it a relay race, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then have the relay race be wherever level my company is at, you yeah. know, so yeah. that's, that's why I keep uh, coming back to that.
0: Well, and, and I'll add one thing thinking before you respond, thinking about it the other, the other way. So like Jonathan said, shortening the scope is one way to do it. And like you said, there's all this complexity around well, could there be other partners that are qualified? Could we cultivate them? Could we offer training? There's really infinite solutions past the point where there's a boundary, but the important part of the conversation is setting your boundary, setting the boundary with you and your team. Like I was saying, personal boundaries and the same with professional boundaries, which is where do you know 100% that you could stay engaged and authentically be excited and give them that superior product and beyond that line? And that line can change over time, you know, as you evolve as a person or a company, so it's always worth interrogating. but it's always a good exercise to sit with yourself and the team and say, what is that line? Where do we know from experience that when we cross this line, we get fatigued, that becomes unmanageable, we don't like it. And really, you know, it's kind of that, that re, it's like when you go into sales calls, you really got to remind yourself, you know, before the excitement comes yeah. on, what is my boundary? and knowing that it's gonna be better for the client and for you. And that if you have an open, you can have an openness outside the boundary to solution a million different things. Cause like, I think it, you know, there's a tons of ways to do that, but it's always hard to even contemplate the solutioning part if the boundary is not clear. So I think that's always the most critical thing to establish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I traditionally have not been great with boundaries. So this is not the first time I've heard this one, (laughs) Um, but it's, it's a new application of it, which is interesting to consider it here.
2: There, there definitely have been studies of the correlation between individual's creativity and their underestimating of effort. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's not, you know, the, if you're innovative in the moment and have that, you know, ability to put see all the patterns and what's possible, yeah. it's not surprising if there is a certain amount of underestimating effort and you should definitely be caught, be conscious of that.
1: No, that's a great point.
0: Yeah. And also, this is where I don't know if we mentioned it explicitly again, but use your team as a backstop. I think Jonathan mentioned earlier about bringing them more into the vetting and the sales process. You know, even yeah. if they're pretty junior, I don't think it's ever too early to even use them as your accountability partner. You know, a lot of how we talk, you can I think you can see the analogs between personal and business because we think mm-hmm. the nature of relationships and relationship building processes are very much similar when you yeah. talk about not conscious business. And a lot of times, even if you had a junior associate, even to an intern, if you said, Here's what I'm feeling about this proposal that just came in. What do you think? That can be an effective checkpoint to make sure that your boundaries are at least articulated and clear because in exchanging those thoughts with another person, even if they're just a sounding board, you can help reinforce your own ability to articulate your boundaries. And a lot of times that really illuminates a lot. So just making it part of your process to be communicating when you feel like you've run into problems in the past around these processes can Mm -hmm. really help clarify things for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting like that processing moment, just working that through with another partner here.
2: I've even had teams uh, create the boundaries for me. So like, you know, we all know what's gonna happen here. So this is the limit of what you could say when you're doing intake. And beyond that, you need to check with whatever, you know? So, you know, and that's not an unusual constraint to have in any uh, uh, initial meeting. Like, there's no reason why you have to commit to every, you know, to to what's going to happen absolutely in the future. So, having that pause anyway is always helpful.
1: Yeah. What do I do in the instance where the team is like, we don't know, or there's not concrete feedback? Because I think that's happened often in the past. And so, I can't tell if it's a deference to like you decide, or if it's truly like there's not an opinion. Um, um
2: my experience is when the it 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 uh, comes from the question that's usually being asked okay. so if the question's more if it seems like the question is what you know i'm basically asking you to be responsible for the future of this company you know but by sure. my question yeah. in the decision you're making there's a lot of i don't know but if you right. ask do you enjoy working on this kind of work or this kind of work yeah that's
1: a good that's experience. where you get a good yeah. answer
2: so you just have to make sure are you asking them a fear based question or you know an exciting huh. the same question but in an exciting way because okay. then that will get you a real answer because yeah if you if you have unresolved fear in yourself yeah pushing it to someone else will always get an I don't know.
0: Yeah That's
2: and
1: so helpful.
0: Uh, yeah and, and I have a strategy for that too especially when junior folks are less responsive. You can always say I, I always say take people at face value and it's and you mm-hmm. know when you're building honest culture assume that they're telling the truth that they really have no you know, opinion on a matter, but then the follow-up for me is usually, okay, well, in absence of any, but this is I'm feeling right now, and this is the direction I would go, and then that kind of stimulates the conversation that Jonathan's talking about too, which is, so let's simulate what would happen if we follow my course of direction, and are we still excited? because yes. you will get them down to like, you will be doing this work and this was right. what your day or your month will look like for the next quarter. And that usually can elicit some response from people because unless they are just lying to you and they say like, oh yeah, that'd be exciting and that'd be great and we'd love to do that. You're gonna find out pretty quickly.
1: No, I love the reframing from the fear-based question, which, cause I think I would ask like, do you want to do this work, you know? Um, and that's not- which, which, is so right. pregnant,
2: which is pregnant with all the concerns that you probably mentioned, you know, five right. times. before. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I think I'm being clear in that moment of just like, I want to know your opinion on your excitement level on it. But I think I could just be even more like drill down to it by positioning it differently.
2: Yeah. Or just invite them into what you're afraid of. So in other words, have that out loud conversation without an opinion. You say, I'm afraid of this. I'm worried about this result rewarding. Like, so that at least there's a foundation that this is your concern. You're not necessarily saying they have to make an answer about it, but this is the yeah. framework with under it, the context in which you're working. Um, but the, the extent at least gives meaning to the, to the question uh, afterwards. The, the other thing is, you know, it seems, it sounds like we're probably giving advice about like de-scoping, you know, generally or getting smaller, but you could flip all this the same way to say maybe you could grow. In other words,
1: mm-hmm.
2: what are your assumptions of growth? What is that what is that you know, what does that look like to you? So you've had bad experiences which it sounds like the normal you know, growth of a company, experiences of skill sets sure. and, and all of that. But again, you can flip it to let's say you wanted to grow. Let's say, mm-hmm. you know, that that was the you know, because it was meeting an objective, you want to help as many companies as possible and whatever sure. it is. Um Bring the team again into that. You might be surprised at all the dimensions of answers that potentially could come, and or at least see where the true bottlenecks are uh, in the, in in the execution. So, I just didn't want to make it sound like yeah. we were. No,
1: I'm. I'm. Well, excited. it's just interesting because I feel like there's growth is uh lauded in the media, right? You know, you talk about like so-and-so company hired a hundred people and grew like a thousand percent last year, and that's the thing that we're all seeking. Um, no,
2: no well well, it, well, if, well yeah if you're seeking to keep the energy that's going to sustain you
1: yes you know yeah, it's
2: possible that you can growth would be good and possible. Sorry I didn't want to interrupt there but
1: no 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 it's I I agree with you. I just think it's funny that this is what we celebrate in the culture of business and I'm I think it's admirable when you, you know, not break even, but you maintain year over year. Like that already is enough of a struggle um, sometimes. It just depends. So we don't well, celebrate it's, that. It's like, congrats, you didn't grow this year, but you kept it afloat, you know?
2: Yeah. Well,
1: I, to
0: well, I, I was just gonna say that, you know, I, I think it comes to a, it lends itself to a nice summary of, of some points that we were talking about in this mm-hmm. in this episode yeah. and all, what I started to say earlier, which is, we have to change our perception of what growth is, because like you said, we our perspective and a lot of people, like you said, it's not real. We have to think of it as not really growth. I, I think every startup founder remembers their first dollar. And there's always going to be excitement when anyone offers you money, because mm-hmm. in your mind, you're equating it to growth. But in reality, when we talk about good profit versus bad profit or sustainable versus unsustainable growth, When you take on business that's bad for you and bad for your energy and bad for your team, it's not really growth. So when you say no to that, you have to kind of make the association in your mind that you're not saying no to growth. You're saying no to kind of a trap, really, which Mm -hmm. is what it is. And that excitement should kind of mature over time to discernment. And that's really what we're talking about. Because when you're asking questions about growth, the only growth that we consider true growth is from good profit and that Mm -hmm. is sustainable and it's the kind of work that you and your team would do over time. And if you feel like you can get a pipeline of that, then you can start growing people. I think when people fall into finding bad profit or taking on opportunities past their boundaries, then they start overextending, then a nightmare starts to begin. So the question was, was any of that revenue really growth start? I don't think so from my definition. So, and that's where I think, like you said, what are we actually lauding? Are we lauding every dollar, good or bad? Or are we wanting, mm-hmm. you know, people who can discern, discern what is going to be sustainable growth. And I think that's the most important, important thing.
1: Great. I love that.
2: You you also have, if there are more clients coming in than you can handle, you could also start thinking about your, your pricing, you know, because
1: mm-hmm.
2: it sounds like there's, you know, a problem with demand. I'm sorry, with supply.
1: Right. Yes. I'm
2: always doing is pricing and, you know, Def- definitely uh, something worth thinking about, but you yourself could see how, let's say, you know, uh, our last episode was about like preparing for a recession. So traditional mm. advice preparing for a recession is diversification. But you right. saw you could diversify and grow and totally fail. Like in other words, you can destroy right. the whole company because if everyone is unhappy or you, you're not delivering, you know, what you're supposed to do for every client. And, and so the worst feeling is failing on a should. So mm, it should grow, everybody lauds growth. And when you fail on that, that is very, that's the worst pain. At least if you're gonna fail, fail on what you want to do, you know? Yeah. So that, that's, uh, you know, and it's much, much less likely that you'll fail anyway, but. Uh, I if, feel like know, there's mean,
1: a pull quote in there for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no,
1: that's so like strong and inspirational and really just like takes my perspective and hones it. So I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the start of my question. I was gonna ask, how are you feeling? I know we've been talking about a yeah. lot of things for the session, where are you at right now? Do you feel lighter? Do you have any last minute questions or comments for us?
1: No, I feel reinvigorated because I do go into these calls with clients and I, I think I'm probably shitting all over myself. Like I want to perform well for them and I am truly excited, but I don't know how to translate it to the business and I don't know which ones should pass, you know, which ones should pass muster. So this is really helpful to reframe the conversation and bring more of the team into it. I think will also be helpful um, reset our boundaries because we've essentially like, because of the volatility of the startups and the pandemic, we reset our boundaries. Like we pulled them back a little bit. And I think now we can potentially afford to be a little bit more stringent with them in the hopes of chasing that good profit and not the work that's going to drain us energetically. Yeah.
2: And or looking at ways to monetize the parts that give you energy, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to yeah. assuming that everything's a package deal.
1: Right, right, yeah. yes, yep.
0: That's that's the whole nature of what you just described about scaling, which is if you can actually reset your boundary and everything within the boundary is good profit, good energy, and like it's everyone excited, you're, you're trying to scale that. Anything yes. that you cre- like creep in there that you also try to scale, it's just going to like basically toxify your operating model over time. And then you're growing that you're growing like a bad plant basically, which is not what you want. So
1: yeah,
0: well, good. No, well, that's super
1: clarifying. Feeling- thank you. Yeah.
0: I'm glad you're feeling invigorated. It was awesome having you on the show. So thank you so much for coming. Um, and if anyone who's listening, again, we love your questions. We love your comments. And if you want to come on Business Therapy, please reach out. But other than that, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. And we will talk to everyone next week. And Elizabeth, I could,
2: see, I could see why your clients, uh, why you're well-liked and, and appreciated by your clients. Um,
1: thank you. I can imagine I how, well, how
2: great you are at your job.
1: I love my job. And so I'm grateful to have these tools to make me continue to love it. So thank you.
2: Excellent. Thanks, everyone.